This morning we have a very special treat. We have a guest speaker, Steve Watson. You know, John and I and some other Riverites got to go to Delhi with Steve and his whole family that is here and spend some time in the slums of Delhi. We had a great, great time together. And what you would need to know about Steve is that he is the lead pastor at our sister church in Cambridge, Reservoir. And the church that he is from is actually the church that sent Charles and Caroline 14 years ago to plant the river. So we have deep, important connections with this church. So today we get to hear from the lead pastor, Steve Watson. He has a great message for us. So join me in welcoming Steve. There we go. I'm on vacation. I'm in the middle of vacation. Uh, I'm preaching in Crocs here, so uh, I'll kind of just chill and say whatever comes to mind, and we'll call that vacation. Um, it's summer. There's pineapples everywhere. Uh, that's fun. So feeling that summer vibe. Um, normally, I've been coming here once a uh, summer in July. Often, I've been the person that stays at the firsties and doesn't leave at 8:30. So I've crashed at their place. Often, come by myself. But uh, this year, I'm uh, with my whole family because we've been on vacation together in New York for a few days. So my wife Grace is with me, and uh, my three children, Juliana, John, and Zeke. So the India traveler Sarah just mentioned. So. Fun to be here together and uh, uh, fun to be back with you. And um, yeah, as Sarah said, fun to be here, sending greetings from Reservoir Church too as well. Uh, as Sarah mentioned, uh, this church has deep roots with ours. Charles Park was actually one of the three people that had the idea to start our church in Cambridge bef- a few years before the river was a thing. So we actually feel a sense of like um, love for you as people that sort of helped start this church, but also in the other way as well, like for Charles's role in starting our church. So anyway, good to be here. And uh, I guess this year it's not just me, like Team Reservoir is doing the preaching in July because my friends Ivy and Lydia, who I work with in Cambridge and who also preach up there, are coming the next couple of weeks. So it's like a reality show where you get to like decide which of the three of us you want back next summer. So no hard feelings if I'm not chosen. They are in many ways my superior. So glad they'll be able to come here as well. Um, let me maybe just say a quick word of prayer and then uh, shift gears to just not just shooting the breeze. So uh, thanks, God, for a beautiful day in New York. Thanks for what really is, I'll say to you, God, as well, the honor to be back with uh, my friends at the river, some I know, um, many who we haven't met yet, but we've, I feel a bond. I'm so glad to be here, God. And I pray that you'd encourage us all with some things you've been encouraging me about how you work in the world, God. I pray there'd be a a gift and something you have to speak to each of us, however we need it today. Amen. Amen. Um, Well, last year, um, I was having kind of a hard year. And so this past fall, I found myself in an interesting, a challenging moment. Uh, So many things on the outside were going well in my life, but I had some nagging issues, some nagging patterns that were really bothering me. I was uh, finding, realizing I was independent and stressed and some other things and had been for a long time in ways that weren't quite satisfying for me. I was coming up on midlife or in midlife. I'm turning 45 this year. And I was finding that just some patterns in my ways of living and being in the world, doing work that weren't serving me well, that I wasn't happy with. And at this stage in my pastoring and my parenting, I needed some new ideas, some new vision as well. In the midst of thinking of all that, the Me Too movement hit last fall, you'll remember. It began trending, different stories hit in the news daily, sometimes hourly. 
Uh, and I found myself kind of transfixed on those stories because they stirred up some old traumas in my own journey. Um, I spent hours and hours reading those stories. Some low-level anxiety and depression started to set in for me. I was learning some new things about the neighbor that had sexually abused me when I was a preteen, which is why that was all stirred up. And so I was in a fair amount of pain and was disoriented in that season. So it was a hard fall for me. So these two things put together... Um, pushed me to embark on two different uh, things this year for my inner life. It's been kind of a two-pronged path of inner work that I've been doing this year. Uh, I had planned on this year of more intentional spiritual practice. So I talk with a spiritual director once a month, a person who helps me uh, reflect on God's work in my life, and I had planned with his guidance to uh, push into this more intentional spiritual practice this year. particularly this form of year-long spiritual exercises designed hundreds of years ago by the founder of the Jesuits named Ignatius of Loyola. When the Me Too movement hit and impacted me as it did, I, um, I realized I need a therapist as well. So I found myself a therapist well and began the work of therapy on a weekly basis alongside those spiritual, ancient spiritual exercises. And today, a little more than half a year into that work, I really want to share one interesting thing that I've been learning this year. That's an interesting thing about God. It fits with some really famous scriptures, including one that I'll read part of for you this morning. It, uh, it fits in with some things that I learned as a public school educator when I was doing that work before I was a pastor. And I think it resonates with some things that are going on in our public life and maybe even in the life of this church as well. So I want to start by reading the text that I'm going to focus on today. It's from a very famous story in the Old Testament, in the Royal Chronicles, the kings of Jerusalem. It's the tale of David and Goliath. Uh, So historians and Bible scholars have had all kinds of thoughts about this story and the chronicles that it's in the middle of. It's a story of a young shepherd who become known as a great king and a renowned warrior, uh, and the story of someone who became known as one of the world's greatest losers. Um, historians, Bible scholars have kind of different opinions about what's going on here. What I love most, though, is the psychology of this story, trying to get inside the skin of the young David that we meet and find out how it is that he had the courage that he did. I think the story invites us to do this as well. And I'm going to focus on the middle of the story, Uh, not the uh, famous setup where you meet this imposing giant Goliath and not the end where you uh, see this surprising victory, but the middle where we see how David trusts the long, slow work of God in his life in the world. So you can listen as I read. I think it's in your program as well, uh, in the middle of 1 Samuel chapter 17. It goes like this. David said to Saul, let no one's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are just a boy, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. (laughs) Interesting qualification, right? (laughs) But I'm a shepherd. (laughs) Whenever a lion or bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after it, and I struck it down, rescuing the lamb from its mouth. And if it turned against me, I would catch it by the jaw, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, since he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, the Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will save me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, go, 
<laughs> May the Lord be with you. It's like, good luck, kid. <laughs> Great speech. <laughs> so Saul clothed David with his armor. He put on a bronze helmet on his head, clothed him with a coat of mail. David strapped Saul's sore over the armor, and he tried in vain to walk, for he was not used to them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I am not used to them. So David removed them, and he took his staff in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from the wadi. It's like seasonal river. He put them in his shepherd's bag in the pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. So just to back things up a little bit, uh, what a scene. This isn't just a nerve-wracking situation David's facing. It's not just an audition or a final exam or an interview or any other big but kind of normal in life stressful situation. This is a grizzled warrior, the most uh, fearsome fighter of David's generation, standing with a whole army at his back, threatening the security and freedom of David, his family, his whole culture and people. There's this thin line between their current way of life and absolute suffering and devastation. And David isn't even all grown up. He's maybe my daughter Juliana's age, maybe a late, mid to late teenager. He's the youngest in his family. He's uh, been left behind to take care of the chores in his family business while his big brothers go off to fight. And David, though in this state, looks around the scene, surveys everything that's going on, thinks for a moment and says, I'm the one. <laughs> I've got this. Saul, the king, has what educators call a fixed mindset. He looks at Goliath, tall, strong, imposing, armored, experienced, and menacing. And he looks at David, young and inexperienced, so much smaller, unknown, innocent. And he says, you are going to lose. Actually, he says, you're going to die. <laughs> you're not good enough. Have you heard these terms, fixed mindset? and growth mindset. Are they making the rounds in New York City? People that know schools a little bit, maybe. Uh, they come from the work of Stanford educator, Carol Dweck. Uh, a fixed mindset. Uh, in that mindset, people believe in like basic qualities, their intelligence, their talent, and that they're simply fixed traits. Uh, they spend their time documenting their intelligence, documenting their talent instead of developing them. They also believe, people with a fixed mindset, that talent alone or talent primarily produces success without effort. This is Goliath thinking he will always win because he's so big and so bad and so strong. And this is also Saul thinking that he and his people and David will always lose because they're smaller and they're less equipped technologically. Turns out they're both wrong and David is right. And David practices what's called a growth mindset. In a growth mindset, people believe their most basic abilities can change. They can be developed through dedication through hard work, brains and talent, what you've got physically are just the starting point. This view creates a love of learning, develops a resilience that's really essential for any significant accomplishment. So Saul looks at David and says, you're just a boy. And David doesn't argue with him, but he says, I've been developing. Specifically, I've been defending life for years. I've been alone in the wilderness with nothing but my sling and my stones and my knife and I have fought lions and I have fought bears and my life has been preparing me for this moment. And with God's help because of that, I'm going to win today. Saul decides to let him try, likely out of desperation, but still he thinks David has to look like him. He doesn't think that God's long, slow work in David's life has been good enough. So he gives David his big man's armor, his heavy sword, 
but they don't fit David. They actually weren't good enough for Saul, which is interesting, right? With all this armor and sword, he didn't challenge Goliath. And they're also not good enough for David. They're not part of what God's been doing in his life. What God has already done in David's life is good enough. Nothing else. So David takes his staff, he takes his sling, he picks up these five smooth river stones, and off he goes, trusting his training, trusting that God's long, slow work that has brought him to this point is going to be enough. Trusting God's story that has been playing out in his life. David hopes and trusts that the person he's becoming and the God he worships together are good enough to face the trials of his life, his personal life and also the public life of his people. I found myself uh, this spring in kind of a different space that I was in this fall. A friend saw more life in me, more laughter back in my voice, because I had learned some things about my life. I had started to come to more acceptance and understanding about my past, and I had come into a deeper, more settled confidence in God's love for me. I was really learning to love myself in a deeper way, I think. But there were other things that weren't coming together as quickly as I had hoped. And I'm a little frustrated at this point because I'm going to therapy like every single week. I'm doing these spiritual exercises that take like a fair amount of time every day. And I guess I'm expecting dramatic results like before and after me. Like I'll look the same on the outside, but there'll be this like inner me that's like, here's the miserable Steve last fall. And here's the like new man with like vision and power for everything in his life. Dynamic in every way, complete, finished. And I'm wondering if like, you have your own version of this. Like, If there are areas of your life that you wanted results in, like yesterday. Right? Yes, a lot of nods. And like, yeah, that's, that's true. Um, maybe some areas of public life, like things in the world, you're like, why hasn't that changed yet? Right? That really cause you angst or agony or pain to think about. Like, It's still that way. You wish God would just swoop in and make a change. I know I want this. The problem is this is not how God normally works in the world. I think God has too much of an interest in this growth mindset I'm talking about, in the actual development of people, in the nurturing of God's children, to just swoop in around whatever place we're fixed in today, like personally or publicly, and just work some magic on our behalf to like bypass our own growth and development. My sense is that's just not what God wants to do in the world. Years ago, I had a mentor in my work in public education. It's this wise elder statement in the Boston Public Schools named Bak Fun Wong. And he gifted me with a piece of work. He was also a calligrapher on the side as his hobby. And he gifted me with this piece of Chinese calligraphy. And it reads, it takes 10 years to grow a tree, but 100 years to grow a person. That's a lifetime, right? Like a longer than a lifetime, like a really long lifetime. This calligraphy hangs on my wall, and below it, on my desk, hangs this beautiful little turtle that I bought in Mexico, reminding me, this very impatient person that I am, of the importance of slow and steady movement, slow and steady change, of adopting this growth mindset I'm talking about today with myself and with other people. But the truth is, like the calligraphy, the turtle, like anything you have sitting around where you work or live, they've become kind of part of the wallpaper, part of the background. I don't actually notice them very often. And I've forgotten about them until a conversation I had recently with a friend. Uh, we were talking, me and this friend, about this deep dive I'm doing into inner work this year, about some things I was learning. 
And I told my friend about an insight, a question, really, that has started to haunt me. That was, um, I won't get into all the details of it today. It would take a long time to explain. It comes out of these exercises, uh, prayer exercise I was doing. But I thought that the question I was asking was probably really important to what I was hoping to learn this year. And uh, particularly about the kind of vision for my own life and for my work. And so I told my friend, I was thinking about this often, and I was trying to answer the question. And this friend of mine, who's actually uh, older than me, a lot wiser than me, he encouraged me to stop trying to figure out the answer to this question. He said, just let it sit for a while. Like, why are you in a rush to find the answer? Just sit with that question. He told me, Steve, trust the long, slow work of God. I told him, why slow? <laughs> As we talked more, he asked me, he said, well, Steve, do you know what, like, how fast God is? And I thought, that's a weird question. Like, how fast is God? I thought, it must be really fast, right? Like a superhero, like to the infinite, right? Just extremely fast, like faster than the speed of light, faster than a speeding bullet, right? And he said, no, that's not true, Steve. Quite the opposite. He said, God's speed is three miles per hour. And that's a really specific answer. <laughs> like, how does he know? <laughs> and why is it so darn slow? Three miles per hour, what? And then he told me about this fabulous essay by this Japanese... American theologian, uh, died a number of years ago. His name is Kosuke Koyama. He was born in Tokyo in the 20s. Uh, he did some work in and around New York City, taught at a, a seminary, Union Theological, uh, right here in Manhattan. Died up in my state of Massachusetts a decade ago. And the essay my friend told me about and gave me to read is titled Three Mile an Hour God. And Koyama notices that people and cultures and really all of humanity, we all share one thing, we're all pretty slow to learn. But God accommodates to our slowness just fine because God has this educational philosophy, which is to walk with people, to move at our speed, which all around the world is more or less three miles per hour. In the Bible's whole long narrative history, people and cultures learn really slowly. So God takes 40 years or 70 years or sometimes, uh, you know, generations to shape a culture. Jesus spends most of his time walking from place to place with his disciples, eating meals with them, uh, telling stories, maybe having book discussions, I don't know, chatting up strangers. It's a long school of training, largely done at this pace of three miles per hour as Jesus walks with people, shares life with them. And God empowers his defeat of Goliath, I'm reading about today, not through some like, snap-of-the-finger miracle, although the story is often told that way. But it's actually through a young man who spent years at night alone in the cold, alone in these dark fields, like singing songs to God because he had nothing else to do, and training his body and his mind as he protected his sheep. It was slow, steady growth in the life of David, done without any kind of giant slaying goal in mind that God worked through to accomplish this great thing. God grows us, all of us, by walking at our speed. And God shapes history for the better through people who grow as they walk with God. Kosuke Koyama calls this three miles per hour, the long, slow speed of God. Not the speed of light, but he calls it the speed of love. A God who loves us is glad to walk with us, to be with us, to keep teaching us and growing us slowly. 
This has been really helpful this year, as you could probably imagine, as I've been trying to dedicate myself to this work of healing and of learning and of new growth. Because when I talk about what I've been learning or about the change in me, it can sound small. It can sound very slow. Like I've gained a little more peace and more connection with my own past. Like, so what? That seems like a small, slow thing. Or I've been learning to be a little more emotionally present in situations where I wasn't before. I'm slowly learning about being less stressed. These things sound so small when I say them. But they're the steady work of God's love in my life. The good, slow work of God. And I wonder, like, if you look backwards in your life, if there are places that you can see the long, good, slow work of God where God has walked with you at the speed of love, whether you are calling it that yet or not. I wonder if you've accumulated experiences and training that prepare you for some work that's before you today, just as David did. A couple weeks ago, a friend of mine told me about a person he cared about who had a very unlikely hope for his life. And my friend told his friend, I will join you in your hope by praying that God would make it so. And he didn't tell his friend how unlikely it was, like this is this ridiculous thing you want true. <laughs> he just said, well, I will pray for you in your hope. He chose his words carefully. Yeah. Uh, but he did pray for his friend, even when he didn't believe. And 10 years later, he's like, Steve, this thing I've prayed for 10 years, it looks like it's just starting to maybe come to pass. So like, I'll pray for another decade. <laughs> maybe it'll be so. <laughs> But wow, that's the long, slow work of God. I wonder if you look forward in your life. Where is it that you would like God to walk with you at the speed of love? What long, slow work of God do you hope to see in you or to see around you? We're going to close this talk in a little bit by coming back to this uh, kind of personal material. But I think there might be something in here, as I mentioned as well, for some of the public crises of our age, maybe even the story of this church. Uh, In recent years, people all around the world, I think, for sure, though, people in our country are experiencing this heightened sense of crisis about our world. We're very aware, regardless of our perspectives, regardless of our angles on things, that there are really large things that are very wrong in our times, things that seem awful and things that seem urgent. And the great speed of our times means we hear about them constantly uh, with rapid updates, with hot takes from everybody over social media all the time. We live in times of such tremendous speed. And nothing wrong with that. Kosuke Kama's essay, Three Mile Per Hour Cod, it was published back when I was a kid in 1979. I see it's there as like a resource in your program. It might be out of print. You might have to like get it used or something if you're interested in the book. But when he talks about our reliance on speed, he mentions Xerox copiers and something he calls instant dinners. I don't know what that was, if that was like early microwave or um, <laughs> electronic switches, his big category that he talks about, for all the fastest things that he could think of. And all that sounds really quaint now because our world has accelerated so, so much over the past 40 years, getting faster and faster and faster, right? And partly that means with, we're bombarded by crisis after crisis after crisis with more and more urgency. Now, I want to be clear. I think some of this is helpful. I think there are lots of things that are very urgent and very important going on in the world. 
Uh, like most Americans uh, this summer, I've been troubled by all kinds of things happening in our country. Resentment toward immigrants coming from various corners of our country and the inhumane pe- treatment of people, of children that's grown out of this resentment. Different forms of violence, injustice, incivility. These things are very urgent, and there's much we can do in our vocations, in our work, in our giving, in our advocacy, in our voting. But in that same essay on the three-mile-per-hour God, Koyama points out that when we learn to walk with a God who moves at the speed of love, we learn to see danger, but we also learn to see promise. Because grounded people of hope need to learn to see both danger and promise. Because if we only see danger, we panic and we react. We become fools in our urgency or we lose heart in our despair. But if we only see promise, we're kind of ungrounded. We're unrealistic, kind of pie-in-the-sky people, like unfaithful to the people and problems of our times. God sees both danger and promise. God's people learn to live with both danger and promise. David sees the great danger of his time in the person of Goliath. With faith, he sees promise, too. And today, I'd like to make really explicit what I'm saying. Another way of talking about what faith even is. So maybe faith is like a God-oriented growth mindset. A trust that God is available to walk with us at our walking speed. At God's slow speed of love. I think that's what faith is. So in our public crises, we're invited to see danger and to see promise as we interact with this powerful, if often slow, God of love. This is what the Bible's prayer book, the Psalms, helps us do. I've been drawn recently to a few lines from the Psalms. I'll read them briefly from Psalm 9. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. So God is always available to us in times of danger. He'll walk with us. He'll walk with people in great distress, even people we pray for that we've never met. Or this, the nations have sunk in the pit that they made. In the net that they hid has their own foot been caught. So people groups, nations, countries that dig pits and set traps for others, thinking they're protecting themselves, like are only digging their own grave. They might be doing it slowly, but there it is. For what it's worth, I think this is like a prophetic word to our country, that if we act out of fear and try and scapegoat and target those who are vulnerable, we will sink in our own pit, we'll be caught in our own trap. It will be our undoing. Maybe slowly, but the day will come. And then this bit as well. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, nor the hope of the poor perish forever. Rise up, O Lord. Do not let mortals prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are only human. So we might forget the needy, or we might dash the hopes of those who are more marginalized, more vulnerable than us. But this is not the way of love. It's not God's way. And God may seem slow, but God will not forget. In fact, again and again, the scriptures tell us God hears and responds to the cries of those in danger. God takes their side. God gives them promise. And God humbles the violent and the proud. Not because God is mean or violent or insecure or arbitrary, but because God knows that to be human, to be beautifully vulnerable, to walk and to grow at the slow speed of three miles per hour is a good thing. It's good to be human. God loves to walk with humans. So we all need to remember that we're only human. Never more 
And all our neighbors, all the world, all the other children of God are also only human, never less than that. And if it seems that God's slow speed of love and justice is too slow, it's okay to say, hurry up, God. Rise up, wake up. We need to see you here. Like, come and help us, God. I want to close with like two final thoughts on this. One for this church and then one like meditation for us to try. First off, I want to encourage you, like friends at the river. Um, I said earlier, we've talked about our churches are linked. Your church helped us get started. We helped you get started. Our leaders were good friends. So I watch what's happening here and I get to come here once or twice a year. I get to pray for you all. And I know this has not been the easiest year or two in the life of this church. Uh, just as our church did a few years ago, this you've had to face the facts that your church is a little smaller than it was at its peak. You've done some awesome things. You've tried some really great efforts to reach lots of people really quickly with the good news of Jesus and the presence of this wonderful church. And not all of the grow really fast efforts have totally worked. From my perspective, which easy to say, I'm a friend of this church, not my church, but I think that's really okay. I think it's really just fine. Because in most of life, we need to learn to lean into the hope of the long, slow work of God. That God walks with us at the speed of love. Which again, like good news, bad news, is three miles per hour. (laughs) Not nothing, but it's not like miracles, usually, right? The bad news is that this like eye-dropping, jaw-popping church success, whatever that even really means, like wasn't yours in a New York minute. Did I use that right, by the way, this New York minute phrase? <laughs> Trying to like be local here for a second. <laughs> Just kidding. The good news is, though, that in God's time, you are like a really young church still. Less than 15 years old, I think. Like just growing up, just getting started. And you're a church committed to the love and good news of Jesus, and you can count on God walking with you steadily. I hope that really helps you all like take a growth mindset as a community, right? To say, our reality is not fixed. With prayer, with love, with friendship, with resilience, we can grow and flourish however we want to, really. Certainly however we need to. God's future for you can be really great. And the present, too, I think, can be really delightful with this attitude. Because a growth mindset is, like, so much happier. It's like it's a mindset of hope. It's a, a way of living with resilience, right? Of, like, Reality as it now is not my destiny. It's like part of the journey I'm on with this beautiful, long, often invisible, but radically present, slow work of God. After all, I think it's like, who really likes sprinting? I mean, for a few seconds, maybe if you're really fit for a few minutes, it can be exhilarating. But over the long haul, like walking is so much better. You can walk for a long time, right? You can have friends while you walk. You don't get friends while you're sprinting, right? It's like you, like... (laughs) You can enjoy conversation while you walk. You can enjoy your whole life while you walk at three miles per hour. So I guess, like, the... It's like a very simple thing to say. Like, keep walking, River Church, right? Um, Enjoy the God who is with you. Like, pay attention to that God of love, and you'll be totally good. I want to wrap up, too, with this kind of last bit of prayer and meditation before I step off. 
And we're going to ask, we're going to take it much more short term for a moment. We're going to ask, what am I called to this week? And that word called is kind of a uh, religious phrase. But by called, I guess I mean sometimes we have an inner voice that speaks to us. that says, hey, this is the thing I have in front of me that's really important right now. This is the work I'm called to this week. Whether that's like your job work or some other kind of work, inner work, relational work, homework, whatever. Or sometimes God speaks to us, says, this is the thing that's important for you right now. So we're going to ask, like in a moment, each in our own way, like, what's that thing I'm called to that this week? And then we're going to ask, how is it that who we are and the God of love who walks with us is totally enough for this task? Like, how has God equipped us, as God did with David, through our own prior growth and through who God is for us today, who God can be for us, more than enough for whatever it is we're, we're called to right now? My faith is that the God who has walked with us in the past has prepared us, all of us, for what we need for the work and even for the dangers of today. And the God who walks with us, the speed of love is always enough for the trials and calls of the present and the future. So I'm going to wrap up with that quick exercise. I invite you to try that together. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for a moment. If you don't want to close your eyes, that's fine. Just don't stare at anyone because that's creepy. You can just like look at the ground or look out the window. And um, again, if you don't want to participate, that's fine. This will just take a couple minutes so you can enjoy that couple minutes of silence if you like or you can um, participate along with me. But I invite us to consider for a moment, what is it that we're called to this week? And God, if there's something that, it might be, that might be an obvious question to many of us, like, oh, this is the big thing I need to do this week, or want to do this week, or get to do this week. Um, but if there's something, God, you want to draw our attention to that's not obvious, we'd love for you to kind of give you permission, welcome to do that as well. So we'll just take, I don't know, 15 seconds silence. Ask, what am I called to this week? And then if you don't have something, that's fine. But for those that have something in mind, we'll just take a minute and ask, how am I ready for that? How has all my training, experience, the work of God in my life prepared me to do this thing with joy and effectiveness and power? And if not, like, how is the God who walks with me and who would never leave me alone good enough to go after this thing I'm, I'm called to? And so, God, could you call to mind for us this holy growth mindset? Could you call to mind for us faith and hope? How is who you have made us to this point in life and who you are for us more than enough for what we're called to? God, could you build in us this faith in you, a God who's more than enough, who's always with us and who never stops walking with us at your good, slow speed of love. We pray, God, that in all our own personal lives and work that you would build hope and resilience and faith in us as you walk with us. We pray that you would make us individually Together as a movement of faith, people of power in the danger of this world, people of promise and hope. And I pray lastly, God, that you would flourish the River Church as a community of faith, hope, and love. A community known for the beauty of a God who walks with them at your good, long, slow pace.
a community with the joy and resilience and hope that comes from the God who is with them. Amen. Thank you, Steve. I want to help. It's really encouraging.